0: Today is December 19th, 2023. This is the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm your host, David Berlin, and today we have two guests with us. One of them is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Truck Coin Swap. That's Todd Siegler. And also an advisor to the company is with us as well, Gabriella Kuz. Todd, thanks very much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having us, David. We uh, we appreciate the invite.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, Gabby, great to have you here as well.
2: Thank you. Always a pleasure to see you again.
0: I I can call you Gabby, right?
2: Yes, of course.
0: Yeah, we just saw you. I just saw you at the Boston Institutional Digital Assets Forum in uh, in, here in Boston. So uh, it was great to see you in person. But now I think uh, you're in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, where you're all bundled up to stay warm.
2: Yeah, it's kind of chilly today.
0: (laughs) And where are you coming uh, uh, to us from, Todd?
1: Yeah, so uh, TCS is a Wyoming company, but oh. uh, I'm based just north of uh, Cincinnati in southwest Ohio.
0: Okay, great. Well, again, it's great to have you guys, and I want to talk to you about Truck Coin Swap because in the run-up to this, we were doing a little bit of back and forth on email, and I was like, wow, okay, this is kind of a really cool example of how blockchain as a technology can reinvent an entire industry, particularly how Finances are done between providers and the consumption, the, cons- the consumers of those provider services, and in particular, we're talking about truckers and how they move goods across the United States and maybe in other parts of the world. So uh, maybe we'll first start off there, Todd. What is Truck Coin Swap? Can you describe it to us?
1: Yeah, uh, at at its core, Truck Coin Swap is a fintech and a blockchain as a service company. Uh, that uh, through blockchain and Web3 technology is able to provide uh, freight invoice settlement to the transportation industry that's 70% faster and 50 to 90% cheaper than the incumbent options.
0: Let's talk about what the incumbent options are. What's wrong with them? Why don't you go through and describe describe to us a typical workflow maybe and what's wrong with that workflow? And then we'll talk about how it is you used blockchain to improve on the uh, problematic parts of that workflow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the the, the core problem that TCS solves is shipper pay terms uh, in the United States and Canada are egregious. They're thirty to one hundred and eighty days. Um, just, just just a little bit by way of my background, so people know um, I'm an attorney by education. I spent the last ten years working in the transportation industry. Um, and I, I think that's important. I had a, a colleague of mine introduce me at an event in Chicago about a week ago as somebody who's not a crypto bro. Um, <laughs> and I, I think there's some value in that, right? Um, this, this is a problem that came from the $2 trillion U.S. transportation industry. And interestingly, it's a problem that blockchain has solved. I think most, most people would probably uh, intimate or concede that blockchain is not a solution to every problem. It's not a solution to most problems, but in this case, it happens to be uh, a solution to the single largest problem in the North American supply chain, and that is the cost and time associated with trade finance. Um, we, you asked about the the current options in the market. So when the, when the transportation industry, specifically the trucking sector, decentralized during uh, the Carter administration, back in the eighties, it became very fragmented. um, And we had all of these small businesses basically get created. Uh, We have a million small businesses just in the United States that are managing 90% of the full truckload spot freight. Another way to say that is if these companies disappeared tomorrow, we'd be rationing product in every grocery store and retail location in about a week. That's how indispensable, these small businesses are not just to the supply chain, to the, but to the entire U.S. economy. And a lot of us kind of got a, a really good uh, experiment in that during COVID, walking into grocery stores, not being able to find toilet paper and, and essential goods. So these are small businesses, they're not at scale. Uh, they don't have a settlement department. They can't wait 30 to 180 days to get paid, right? It costs $1,400 to fill up a truck with diesel Um, You know, you're typically paying a driver, you're paying, you know, very lofty insurance premiums. Uh, You've got all of these operational costs associated with running a trucking company or a logistics brokerage or a 3PL or a 4PL. You can't wait 30 to 180 days to get paid directly by your shipper. If it's Walmart or Target or, you know, whoever the, the ultimate shipper is. And, you know, when I when I first kind of made my way into the blockchain industry, a lot of people kind of didn't believe me that uh, a lot of shipper pay terms were net 180. Literally, you deliver a load of widgets to somebody and they don't have to pay you for six months. That's great. That is industry standard. And it's actually more common with the larger companies, the Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, because they have economies of scale. So their position is uh, we have the freight. We'll contract with you to move it, but if you need to get paid in 10 days or less, you need to go sign a contract with a bank or a factoring company.
0: What, what, um, so now, so can, let me just sure. stop you there. why why are the terms 30 to so exorbitantly bad? like hundred 180 days as you point out, that's six months. So why yes. why are they 30? Where does that come It must come from some you know old legacy setup. That just continues until this day, as we see in a lot of industries. What what is it about 30 to 180 days that makes that the traditional approach?
1: Yeah, I think the legacy framework is certainly part of the problem, right? Um, It's it's actually shocking when I I talk to people in tech, like more than 90% of freight transactions in the United States and Canada are still being managed in PDF documents via email. Okay, this is $900 billion a year in transactional activity that's still predominantly denominated in in paper, right? Uh, PDF documents via email. So that's part of the problem. Um, The the other part of the problem is these, like I said, a lot of these uh, fortune shippers that are moving a lot of the freight, they're publicly traded companies, they're at scale they don't need to change anything right um and and really they don't need to change anything because in their minds uh the problem is resolved by these third-party banks and factoring companies that provide freight invoice factoring services to these companies the real problem is though when when we get uh, into the pause you there for one second
0: sure what is a because some of our audience is not going to be familiar with all of this terminology what is a factoring service what does that mean
1: Right. It's basically a bank or a third party intermediary. And if you're, let's say, David, you're a you're an owner operator, you're a one truck operation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I'm running acne factoring companies. So you and I would sign a contract and that contract would basically say that I can get you paid in 10 days. Every time you send me a an account receivable or a freight invoice from one of your shippers, maybe you're running loads for a big grocery retailer, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime that you want to get paid in 10 days, you can basically send me that account receivable. I'm going to pay you in 10 days. I'm going to directly deposit um, or, or ACH cash into your business checking account, but I'm going to charge you 3 to 6%. And that's the real problem because 3 to 6% of gross doesn't sound that bad to a lot of small businesses, especially in a high interest rate environment. But when you look at 3 to 6% annualized on these freight transactions, oftentimes these are 20 to 30% annualized interest rates. So another way of saying that is we're charging the equivalent of hard money loans or payday loan rates to the most essential small businesses in our economy. Uh, And there is no alternative for them because, again, the the only alternative is to wait to get paid directly, and that's going to take 30 to 180 days. So they are forced into these factoring agreements uh, because there was no alternative until TCS came around.
0: Now, what about the larger trucking companies? I assume that their finances are in a better position to tolerate a longer period of time and therefore – in some ways they're putting a lot of pressure on the smaller mom and pop truckers because they can't hack that kind of 30 to 180 uh, day float or whatever you want to call it. And so, it just makes the bigger companies strong, uh, gives them a stronger hand in the trucker, trucking industry to service all of these shippers, right? So I, I'm just trying to understand the, you know, the the total complexity here that we're dealing with sure. in this industry because it's a foreign industry to me.
1: <clears throat> no, and it's it's a great question. So our core user demographic in the transportation industry is those one million small smaller companies, right? Mm-hmm. It's the one to six truck operators. It's the smaller brokerages, three pl's and four pl's because they don't have a, a collections department. They're not at scale. They're not, you know, they, they just, they're not equipped to be able to manage uh, the, the AR and AP issues of a larger company. Now, it's interesting that you bring up the companies that are at scale, right? The larger trucking companies, because uh, when when TCS started, we, we weren't in this high interest rate environment that we're in now. And, and this is a really important point. So, Let's now say, David, that you own 100 trucks, right? You're you're a fairly large carrier, you're at scale, you have your own W2 collections department, so you don't have to factor your invoices with a bank or a factoring company. But let's think about what that actually costs you. So let's say your largest shippers are on net 90 terms and annualized inflation is somewhere in the ballpark of 6%. Even though you're at scale, even though you have a collections department, If you're waiting 90 days to get paid, you're still losing about one and a half percent in inflation costs. And then on top of that, you are payrolling this W-2 collections team, and that has a cost associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. So the chances are you're probably still paying in this high uh, inflationary environment, somewhere between two to three percent of gross to get your invoice settled. And... If that's the case, you can also work with TCS because we're able to provide that same efficiency that's 70% faster and 50 to 90% cheaper than that 3 to 6% rate that somebody would be either paying to a factoring company or absorbing in terms of costs and and and, and OPEX, right? Sure. So, so, so. It, it, it's not just a solution for the small businesses, but it kind of depends on the the, the, the relationships between the carriers at scale and, and their shippers and what those pay terms are.
0: Right. And anywhere between two and 6%, I mean, that's, that's big money. I mean, at the end it of is. the day, that can be a lot of big money. Yes. And uh, you mentioned two other uh, terms that I'm not familiar with 3PL and 4PL. So just for our audience, so like what, what, what do those things mean?
1: Yeah, the, that's, that's uh, shorthand for third party and for fourth party logistics companies. Okay. Uh, those are companies that typically uh, are involved in, in, in some kind of brokerage. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're helping to uh, match shippers and carriers in some capacity. And a lot of 3PLs and 4PLs also have capital equipment or some type of asset. So maybe uh, they own some trucks or they own distribution centers or some type of asset within the, the transportation infrastructure and, and industry.
0: So that's the equivalent of – you sort of when you say 3PL and 4PL, you're talking about the number of hands on the pie, so to say, because the more people, the more parties that are involved, at the end of the day, the less money the actual trucker's is going to make, I think,
1: is – yeah, and I, that's true. They're they're typically with respect to brokerage, they're sometimes adding another uh layer of 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 it, of being an intermediary, right? Mm-hmm. But 3PLs and 4PLs are critical to our supply chain as well because lots of times they are the glue that's connecting these smaller carriers and shippers to make sure that these goods get to market on time, especially when you're talking about like food and CPG freight that has uh, like a, a shelf life.
0: Yeah, in, in tech, I think about how cloud changed things, right? And one of the things that cloud did was it changed the amount of capacity, compute capacity you had to keep in your data center just ready for whatever that big surge is. And I can imagine in the trucking industry, nobody wants to keep the capacity around, like you know, 500 trucks when you only need that one time a year or something like that. So you, right. th- we're talking, when you talk about these middlemen you're talking and the brokerages you're talking about things that help to optimize the matching of demand for freight uh with the supply for all of the the different things that are needed drivers trucks etc to actually move that freight around
1: yeah and I, i like to use the example of walmart too so walmart actually last i checked they have the largest trucking fleet in the world right they own more trucks than any other company however their trucks can't come anywhere close to managing their entire routing guide and providing all the capacity that they need. Mm-hmm. Right. So they still have to go to outside carriers um, or, or let's say they have a truck that's ready to move a load of strawberries from Arizona to New York, but the truck breaks down and they need it to move. Right. So even the largest you know, trucking company in the world still needs help from these small businesses to source outside capacity to kind of fill those gaps in the routing guide throughout the year
0: right well anybody who's seen a chevy van pull up and deliver something from amazon an unmarked car you kind of have an idea it's the same basic structure right yes okay so i get the problem we have a lot of people who are waiting a long time to get paid and there's a cost associated with that how does blockchain solve that problem
1: That's a great question. Um, And basically what we've created is a blockchain as a service platform. um, And and our our tech stack is pretty robust. It includes a proprietary mobile app where um, we're able to communicate directly with our transportation users and accept all of their uh, accounts receivable and the ancillary documents that they send to us that kind of constitute that, that account receivable or freight invoice after they've delivered a load. But the crux of our tech stack is an ERC-20 Polygon token. And uh, that token is, is listed on Uniswap. Uh, we've got some big centralized exchange announcements, uh, listing announcements uh, for Q1 next year. But basically that ERC-20 token is what facilitates that settlement that's 70% faster and 50 to 90% cheaper. And I'm sure we'll, we'll probably go into that in, in a little more depth here.
0: Right. Well, in general, uh, blockchain is a means of circumventing traditional financial rails where the settlement times are longer. We know that. And so this just, uh, you know, by sheer brute force addresses that particular problem. But also, depending on which chain you're on. You also have a greatly reduced uh, cost of transacting compared to something like ACH that you mentioned earlier, SWIFT, whatever it may be. So you you just start to kind of strip out the inefficiencies, um, which is great. Uh, I can imagine, though, that there are some people who are making money on that uh, 30 to 180-day float, and they would not be too happy to see an innovation like this coming along.
1: Probably not. But, uh, you know, if, if you look at the, uh, the history of Western civilization, um, good tech always wins, better tech always <laughs> wins. And simply this is a this is a faster and cheaper mousetrap. Sure. Uh, and, and you made the point. There's a lot of efficiency, or inefficiencies in TradFi. There's a lot of inefficiencies on conventional banking rails. And I, I, the way I like to think of it, again, you know, I, I started by saying I'm not a crypto bro. I was late to Bitcoin. I mean, I didn't buy Bitcoin until 2017, and then it took me a couple years, kind of marinating on the Satoshi white paper, right? But when I got back to it, around the time that that you know TCS was started. I went back and reread the the Bitcoin white paper and I was like, this is exactly what the Satoshi thesis is talking about. This is exactly what blockchain tech is supposed to be all about. Eliminating inefficiencies, disintermediating third parties, reducing time, reducing costs. This is the single largest problem in a $2 trillion industry. You know, and I was like, I wonder if blockchain can solve it. So I I wrote a, a, a pretty short white paper. Uh, took it out to the University of Wyoming Advanced Blockchain Lab, and kind of the rest was history. Within eight months, we had you know settled the world's first freight transaction on the blockchain, um, utilizing the the TCS ERC20 token.
0: You mentioned Uniswap, and you know, essentially the you know sort of decentralized finance exchanges that are out there. Uh, are is that where? other buyers can come in and essentially buy up invoices. Is that where that activity is taking place or has that part of the workflow just been eliminated altogether?
1: That's a good question. So um, if uh, they're not buying invoices, but what they're helping to do is they're helping uh, to create this use case, right? This critically important use case in the blockchain web three industry. So, The way that TCS token, and I I realize we're going to kind of move into tokenomics and taxonomy a little (laughs) bit here to to make sure that everybody uh, comprehensively understands how how this works. So uh, instead of uh, like typically if, if, you know, you were a bank or a factoring company, David, somebody would deliver a load of widgets, they would send the freight invoice to you through the app, that would initiate the settlement process in about 10 days they'd get an ach cash payment into their business checking account less three to six percent that's how the sausage is made now that's Mm -hmm. how the majority of all these freight invoices are settled so we created the exact same model with our own proprietary mobile app and web app right where those documents can flow to us through the app but instead Mm -hmm. of sending an ach cash payment to a business checking account TCS will directly deposit the current USD value of that invoice in TCS tokens directly into a business wallet for the transportation user on an exchange. Now, the first question we get then is, well, wait a minute. You know, these trucking companies are not uh, they're not, you know, traders. They're not investing in uh, in crypto. They're not Mm -hmm. trying to arbitrage markets. And that's true. Their need typically is to get to cash as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible, right? Because again, it's $1,400 to fill up a truck with diesel. So what we have done is we've created an ecosystem that says when trucking companies or transportation users or brokerages, when they sell those TCS tokens to the secondary market, just like you would sell Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything Mm -hmm. else, if the secondary market does not buy those tokens, TCS acts as the buyer of last resort. We swoop in, we buy 100% of whatever the outstanding balance is that the, that the transportation user just sold. We ensure that they can get to liquidity, they can get to cash, they're on to their next load, they're paid. And now, like a bank or a factoring company, TCS will collect on the invoice from whoever the shipper is. Again, Target, a grocery retailer, whatever, mm-hmm. we will wait the 30, 60, 90 to 180 days to collect that cash directly. So again, for the user, we've created a faster and cheaper uh, platform with a better user experience. And then the secondary market, anybody that's interested in, in, in participating um, and buying TCS token basically is, is, is helping and advocating for this use case in blockchain web3.
0: Right, they're essentially providing liquidity as well to the exactly yeah underlying system.
1: Right, the liquidity and, that they provide is liquidity that TCS does not have to provide directly.
0: And so, so how correct. how does the onboarding work? I mean, how do you get out to the truck? Uh, there's the benefits are obvious. If I'm a trucker, I'm going to be like, wow, this is like I, I can gain somewhere between three and six percent maybe on my gross. That that's not insignificant. Give it to me like what, what. So how do you get the word out to these truckers and these different companies that are providing all of this, you know, uh, uh, transportation commerce across the country? And um, how do you get the other members of the ecosystem on board as well? Because I can imagine a typical factoring company, is, as you've described, might view this as a threat and they might say, "Well, OK, maybe we have to evolve and join this
1: yeah and that that's one of my my favorite questions because you know the the one of the most common questions that we get is you know how do you get to the truckers so we're in this interesting situation as as a company that's that's getting ready to launch at scale next quarter right we've been building out this uh, this this infrastructure and our strategic partnerships for the better part of 18 months right we have more demand right now than we can even meet uh, we have over 350 users waitlisted with no formal marketing or advertising of any kind, and those users just by themselves represent about a hundred million dollars in annual volume that would be running through our token and running through the exchanges. Um, one of the questions that we ask any transportation user that comes to our website that wants to learn more or they want to, you know be on the wait list uh, to start settling their freight invoices with us. One of the questions that they have to answer is, do you have any experience with you know, blockchain, wallets, digital assets, et cetera? About 50% of them mark yes, right? Mm-hmm. So you compare that to the rest of the world where I think it's something like two to 3% of the world has done anything in digital assets. Here we have an industry that's already 50% exposed to the tech. And it makes sense if you really think about it for, for at least three reasons. Number one, a lot of the operators and drivers in the space are, are foreigners, right? So they're intimately familiar with cross-border payments and the time and costs associated with that. So kind of when digital assets and blockchain came to the fore, you know, they, they got interested. Number two, most truck drivers are in a cab for eight hours a day. I think they call it like PhD by podcast or something like that. These are some of the smartest people I've ever sat down and talked to. I, I joke, TCS was one of the educational sponsors at the Mid America Truck Show last March. We we got invited to come back in 2024, um, and this is the largest truck show in the world. There's like 70,000 people that show up every year for this conference. Wow. And I end up at dinner with a bunch of truck drivers talking about fractional reserve lending, right? And these guys, you know, during during the last crypto bull market, they were in their cabs to hear the ads from Coinbase and Kraken and sadly FTX, right? But a lot of them dipped their toes. They bought a little bit of Bitcoin. They bought a little bit of Ethereum. But but they've at least, it, they've touched the industry, right? So, so they get it. The other thing that's advantageous is most of these companies are, you know, a, a lot of the truck drivers are owner-operators. They're small business owners. They're driving around a business that generates, by industry averages, about $250,000 a year in gross revenue. So they have business acumen. They understand that 3 to 6% on every invoice is not only typically a 20-plus percent annualized interest rate, but oftentimes, that, that factoring cost is costing them 30, 40, 50, 60% of their net revenue, right? It is this massive expense that they have to endure. So it really is the the perfect sector of the perfect industry for building out this type of blockchain solution.
0: What What's the international application of this? I, I'm assuming that since we have all of these uh, legacy inefficiencies in the trucking market here in the U.S., that must not be too different in other parts of the world
1: and uh, I'll kick that one to Gabby she's yeah. our uh, she's <laughs> our, our our ambassador to to the world here
0: sure Gabby go ahead it's, I'm glad to finally get you into the uh interview process here yeah. what's going on internationally in this industry
2: yeah so you know you're very very correct um you know this isn't the this Challenge really isn't unique to the United States. And this challenge is one that, you know, yes, it affects trucking and supply chain logistics and management, but it also hits on some of the broader themes of both food security, national security. And so these are, you know, global themes that are relevant both to the US and some of our domestic policy challenges, but also to other countries that are facing similar issues. Um, you know, not to bring in some of the climate crisis issues, but as our infrastructure is currently under, you know, extreme pressure from climate crisis and other issues, having resilient uh, freight logistics and being able to ensure, especially with the world's transition to just-in-time logistics, Mm -hmm. that we have the ability to ensure that our freight and overland trucking systems, both in the U.S. and around the world, are strong, resilient, and able to meet the needs of the market today and into the future is critically important. And so, you know, countries that have large landmass that are looking to ensure that their people are fed, clothed, have the CPGs or consumer products and goods that, you know, Todd kind of mentioned, this is all part of that conversation. And so you're correct. It is an issue, and yes, we're focusing, I think, first here in North America, the U.S. and Canada, but it is something that in the longer trajectory TCS, and also just from a standpoint of freight factoring, there's a global trajectory and application.
0: It it is interesting when you talk about just-in-time, because across many different industries, there's been a move to just-in-time inventory. However, there hasn't been a corresponding move to just-in-time payment. It's kind of, and, and you know somebody's benefiting from that in some way. Uh, and at some point, as you pointed out earlier, if people aren't getting paid on time, it, it could lead to the collapse of a particular infrastructure. So it makes sense to make sure that your just-in-time delivery stuff is matched to your just-in-time you know, infrastructure uh, and, and or the financial infrastructure, I should say, where everybody's getting compensated.
2: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, like Todd has mentioned some of the egregious levels, like especially when we talk about how this chips into net revenue, um, Mm -hmm. I would actually go a step further and say that this is almost on not just payday lending, but predatory lending. So when we get to these levels where you are significantly harming small and medium businesses, individual entrepreneurs, um, and cutting into their ability to feed, clothe, care for their families, and be able to be contributing members of society, then I think it's important to start to look at what alternative solutions, including leveraging blockchain technology, can do in order to alleviate some of that pressure and ensure that they're able to both care for themselves socially and economically, but then also contribute to the national fabric here in the U.S. And, and
1: if if I can if I can add to that, David, th- th- like and, and put some real figures on this, mm-hmm. we are in the worst recession in the transportation industry that we've mm-hmm. seen since 2008. It might be the worst in recorded history. Just in 2023, so far this year, we've lost 35,000 mm-hmm. trucking and logistics companies to bankruptcy and insolvency. Now, a lot of this is the result of kind of the boom bust cycle associated with um, COVID and, you know, the Fed printing money and, and you know, the, the low interest rate environment. So it's not an ex- it's it's not exclusively the the result of, you know, freight invoice factoring. But I, I like to, you know, I, I like to say that we have this silent tax mm-hmm. in our economy yep. called inflation, which everybody really understands now. Right. Not so much a couple of years ago, but we also have this secondary silent tax in the supply chain because anytime you've got banks and third party intermediaries carving that huge piece of, of finance out of the supply chain, right? Not only are these small businesses enduring those costs, but what are they going to do naturally if they're losing 30 to 50% of their net revenue or more? They're going to artificially mm-hmm. increase their transportation rates wherever and whenever they can. Well, what does that mean? That means you and Gabby and I are also paying the price because anytime transportation companies raise their rates, everything that we buy at the grocery store and at retail locations increases in price. And in the United States and Canada, 72% of all goods are on a truck at some point from, you know, from, wow. you know, farm to table. Um, I, I mean, that, those are just the facts. So we some of seen, that, yeah, some, of,
0: some of the, some of that malaise that's affecting, the trucking industry, how much of that comes from just the restructuring of other industries? I think about the impact that Amazon has had. Uh, You know, at the beginning, there were lots of trucks on the roads probably carrying the stuff that Amazon was selling, and those trucks did not belong to Amazon. And then over time, uh, as Amazon wiped out retailers, uh, they also acquired their own logistics uh, truck, you know, their own trucks and stuff. So how much of, uh, of that you know uh you know disruption to the trucking industry also comes as a result of just the restructuring of other industries
1: yeah it's it's certainly part and parcel right but Mm -hmm. but amazon is kind of like walmart too right like Mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of amazon trailers on the highway but when you look at the power unit when you look at the truck that's pulling the trailer right it's not an amazon power unit it's 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 oftentimes it's a small business Right? right? It's a carrier. It's one of their power units that's pulling that trailer. So mm-hmm. Amazon kind of like Walmart, do they have a lot of assets? Yes, they do. But they also need a lot of outside capacity. And there's always going to be disruption. It's it's a $2 trillion industry. But, you know, the population is increasing as well. Um, so so even though we've got people kind of, we've, we've always got this fight uh, between boom and bust cycles. Uh, people are always pulling market share from each other, Uh, But, you know, this current economic environment has created so much financial hardship, specifically for the small trucking and logistics companies. And it's also hit the big guys. You might have read about the recent bankruptcy of of Yellow YRC. They were one of the largest trucking companies on the planet. I mean, they go back 100 years and they couldn't hold it together during Uh this down cycle. Um, And and again, you know, I'm not trying to blame all of the problems on this secondary tax, this this, uh, you know, freight finance tax. It's a result of the factoring problem. But anytime you've got companies that are taking, you know, 30 plus percent hits on their net revenue, when we get into these down environments and the cost of capital go up, it becomes almost impossible for them to find oxygen. And that's exactly what we're seeing.
0: When. I think about the other applications of blockchain uh, to financial, typically financial flows like this, Um, financial assets, if you will, because in in some ways, an invoice is an asset, right? Oh, yeah. It's a promise. Yeah. Commercial paper asset. Absolutely. So one of the big advantages of blockchain and the idea of tokens is uh, when you tokenize an invoice of that sort is the fractionalization. I heard you mention fractionalization earlier, but I wasn't sure if you were implying that, you know, when you think about these factoring companies, that there might be an opportunity to fractionalize some of the larger invoices or pool invoices and then fractionalize that. Is is that an element of this at all?
1: So I have to answer, first of all, thank you for asking (laughs) that question. I have to answer it very precisely, though. So um, on the one hand, we've got the, the TCS ERC20 token, right, which mm-hmm. we're using for settlement for transportation companies. And then if you're a secondary buyer on an exchange like Coinbase or Kraken or NetCoins, right, you can buy the token. One of the things that we're also working on with some of our strategic partners is this idea and i you know if you think about a restaurant you've got like the front of the house and the back of the house mm-hmm. so our ERC20 token is on the front of the house on the back of the house with some of our partnerships we're also working towards the creation of a security token that would actually bundle these commercial paper assets right it might be a bundle of you know fortune 1000 net 90 paper right that might be one bundle But the thing about security tokens, and there's a lot of rave in the industry right now about security tokens, and I think that they're great. A lot of these use cases are fantastic. But security tokens typically in like 99% of situations that I'm aware of are only available to accredited investors, right? Because they are securities. You do have to do KYC AML. There is some underlying asset typically or, or a promise or consideration of some sort. So that takes 99% of the population out of the game. If you're an accredited investor and you can buy a security token, of Fortune 1000 paper that pays a yield, that's great for you. But how does everybody else participate in the use case? How does everybody else participate in the ecosystem? So that's one really cool thing about TCS as well is we've, we've got a front of the house application and a back of the house application.
0: So I want to switch over to Gabby because we're crossing over into two things that I think are really important. First, given your experience rubbing shoulders with a lot of the regulators and lawmakers in Washington DC, and, and I'm familiar with your history of doing that. I've seen you, uh, down there at the DC blockchain summit, uh, doing your thing. Um, how, Does the current regulatory environment in the U.S. affect adoption of a solution like this? Because we've seen adoption of blockchain overall being somewhat slowed by the fact that we have some gridlock in D.C. over how to regulate cryptocurrency, which in turn um, affects blockchain as a whole.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good question. So I'll talk specifically to TCS, which is a non-security utility token. Um, So Todd kind of went into the way that similar to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, you know, an action, um, a, a function actually triggers the use of the TCS token as opposed to just going out and buying a token um and so that is really to help settle invoices on the blockchain so i think in the first instance like i always like to define tcs as outside of what we consider today to be the legal and regulatory strike zone um and so since it is very clearly a utility function that supports um actual use cases that enhance the livelihood of people all across the country and not necessarily, you know, again, we play these games internally within the US, East Coast to Leeds, Main Street versus Wall Street. This is very um, seriously a Main Street use case. And so I think when we talk about, you know, the, and Todd and I kind of joke about it, the killer app or the killer blockchain use case that, you know, helps to drive mainstreaming and helps to provide insight. to policymakers, this is definitely that use case. Um, it solves what today in the US is a very serious challenge and problem. It supports and enhances the livelihood of people who every day use this money to support their families, their small businesses and ultimately contribute to making our country stronger. So I think if I look at the legal and and regulatory environment for TCS, that I think aligns perfectly given the fact that we have specifically designed this to be outside of and categorized as a utility token. That's that piece. I think broadly speaking, um, if I'm looking at a macro level, What we're seeing because of the lack of legal and regulatory clarity is that the industry as a whole has taken a hit. Um, You know, we've at TCS, Todd, his co-founders and others um, have worked to ensure that the design development um, has been very cognizant and intentional um, based on some of the legal and regulatory ambiguity and the fact that this would stay outside of that fray. However, I think broadly speaking, the industry as a whole has taken hits based on the fact that there hasn't been, as we've seen in Europe or in Singapore or Japan, um, moves to really try to clarify, to update the legal and regulatory framework, given the fact that this is Um, not just another new and emerging technology, but really at its core transformational. And if that's true, then you need a number of different facets of change in order to ensure that you have what we would consider to be an enabling environment that allows for that technology to take off, to transform, and for benefits to accrue, not only to, because that's what's happening today. You're going to see potentially, you know, again, knock on wood, the release of Mm -hmm. an ETF. Um, You're going to see, you know, the security token um, component of the blockchain and digital asset space take off who does that benefit? Is it the everyday person or is it again, you know, a drive to the top, the 1% who can benefit from this? And I think that, you know, perhaps somewhat unintentionally, those have been the consequences of not having legal and regulatory clarity, which is that again, a few, you know, small firms that focus on, you know, and I say small, not in size, but in number, Um, Firms that have cornered a certain component of that market that focus very strictly on capital markets application, they will benefit. And who is it that gets left out of that? I think that you're talking about a expansiveness and an enlarging of, you know, not just the digital divide, but I think generational wealth creation and opportunity to really participate more fully in the digital future.
0: When you're sitting face-to-face with regulators and lawmakers in Washington, DC, which I assume you still do, can you bring up TCS as a use case and say, hey, look, here's a really great example of where it's all about the utility. It's not about securities or anything like that. Take a look at this and think about how important it is to accelerate your process to get that regulatory clarity in place. So that it 's not holding back an application like this or other utility applications, it seems like you just have to get some really good bread and butter examples in front of the uh, you know the regulators and lawmakers in washington d c to kind of get them off their asses i 'm just going to say that point blank because it just i, I know to the American public um, it looks that way it looks like it 's gridlock. I know the lawmakers' and regulators think they 're doing something they 're active they 're trying to get things done but to the outside world, just looks like there's been no movement, and as long as we have uh, no movement at all, it's just going to hold back some of these utility applications because everybody's all concerned about the crypto stuff and what happened with FTX and so on.
1: Can I take a, for a first stab at that, Gabby? Yeah, go for it. So without without naming names, I can share with you, hmm. David, that I have spoken to the staffs at the House of Representatives Committee on Finance and the House Agricultural Committee. And when I've been on the Hill, rubbing elbows with congressional staff and some folks on the, on the regulatory side of things, we typically get a thank you. Uh, thank you for providing a use case that we can actually like talk to our colleagues about. Uh, because the number one refrain, the number one objection that, I, and I, I'm sure Gabby hears it too when she's on the Hill, the number one objection I always hear is like, where's the beef? Like, where uh-huh. is the real world use case that benefits consumers and households and small businesses? Because frankly, you know, accredited investors and high net worth folks and traders and hedge funds are not the constituents of members of Congress. Right. They're they're accredited. Nobody really cares about the risks that they take. Right. They you know, the whole point of being accredited is that you can properly assume the risk of whatever thing, you, you know, whatever part of finance you're, you're engaging, right? Um, so I, I think that um, I, I kind of, you know, when I look at the Satoshi thesis, I see so many different use cases like TCS because, you know, the factoring problem, the trade finance problem is not unique to the transportation industry, it's not unique to the United States this is a problem all over the world, right? There are so many use cases there. And the more we can kind of build out use cases that solve these fundamental trade finance problems, I think the better narrative we can create for members of Congress, for regulators, uh, for their staffs, because, you know, we've gotten so far away from what you know, the, the blockchain tech was supposed to be about what, you know, Satoshi was talking about 15 years ago. And I, I mean, you know, most people who are honest will fully admit that 98% of the tokens that are out there don't have any underlying utility or don't have any underlying asset, right? Basically, it's a, it's a speculative digital asset that, you know, people are betting on. And ideally, you've got a chair when the music stops, right? Um, so we need to focus on these real-world use cases because that's what I, I believe is going to educate the folks on the Hill and help us change this larger narrative for the industry.
0: Gabby, uh, the, y- y- Todd just mentioned these real-world use cases. Where else, besides the trucking industry, do we see this problem with net 30 to net 180 Where this model that Todd is applying to the trucking industry absolutely applies to some other industry and can uh, help move the needle in Washington DC and show these real world use cases where the small businesses, the people who make up the backbone of the United States, Mm -hmm. um, you know, can finally convince lawmakers to get moving. What are the other industries where this works?
2: Yeah, so I think um, in any of the industries where you're looking at invoice factoring um, and trying to reduce the timeline between, you know, an accounts receivable and settlement. Um, So realistically, you know, TCS, I think, has an amazing model that is highly applicable to freight Um, But if you could have a crystal ball to see where this could potentially go in terms of opportunity, growth, next steps, you know, you're looking at really helping to facilitate um, settlements in a more timely manner for a number of different industries. Um, You know, I'm not going to go into specifics on it, but I'll say that, you know, this is something that has been, you know, reflected upon from like a strategic mindset. But I think that also just from a policy perspective, um, you know, this is something that challenges people even we've mentioned actual payday lending. Um, So these are all components that I think when tied together and you start to look at what are the real world use cases. you know you had also kind of like hinted at some of like my previous life um in doing a lot of like lobbying and government affairs i'll be very clear with you part of the reason that i stepped on as an advisor to tcs is because of the use case um use case the maturity of leadership the governance the fact that it um is solid in terms of being able to action you know um, when I was the CEO of the Global DCA, I would normally, both with our firms, but then also um, candidate firms, be looking at interviewing or speaking to roughly 200 firms a year. Um, so I had my pick <laughs> when it came to like how I wanted to spend my time, what firms that I thought actually had legs, and those that could actually execute. Um, there was a great meme that was going around on LinkedIn um, by Barack Obama, former President Obama, just about how be a person who can get things done. And I feel like I used to think that that was something like myself, like and Todd, everybody had these skills. And then it was like, oh God, no one knows how to get things done. (laughs) And it's like, you have, and I'll be very honest with you. And I get irritated by, you know, some of like the VC like scattershot money all over. They invested in great ideas, but they never actually profiled those people to say, are these actually people who, if I give them money, can actually do the thing that they purport and the idea or vision that they have? And I don't like wasting my time, and I don't really feel like, you know, supporting just a great thinker or an ideation process. I'd really like to be with a group that can actually Put metal, pedal to metal and get things done, and not to use just like trucking analogies. But that's why I'm spending my time in supporting truck coins. Well,
0: well, I'll replace your phraseology. A lot of people say "get shit done," and I completely <laughs> yeah, okay. appreciate the idea of getting shit done. Hey, Todd and and uh, Gabby, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thanks again for the time, David. Appreciate it.
0: We've been speaking with Todd Ziegler. He is the CEO and co-founder of Truck Coin Swap and also Gabriella Kuz. She's an advisor to Truck Coin Swap, also known as TCS. You've been listening to the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm your host, David Berlin, for more videos like this one or if you just want to get the audio we're on a whole bunch of podcasting infrastructures like spotify and apple Podcasts. you can just go out there and find us we're easy to find we have a youtube channel you can go to blockchainjournal.com find the video of this and also the full text transcript if you need any of that and uh, all i can say is thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you on the next podcast